Hi and welcome everyone to the 38th episode of CRM Rocks. This is Marcus Allanson and today's podcast will be about e-commerce, digital marketing and CRM. And with me today I have Therese Reutersvard. As e-commerce manager, she defines business strategies for maximum profitability. She is using her expertise within e-commerce, technology and marketing to solve challenges in the new marketplace. One strength is her ability to create effective process, for example web requirements, logistic flow, media buy, customer feedback, agile development and web analytics. At her workplaces she has been an internal ambassador for digital marketing and it continues to be her biggest area of interest also when the workday is over. Welcome Therese Reutersvard. Thank you Marcus. How are you today? I'm fine. I'm super fine. It's a very, very dark and cold Swedish uh, evening, but I have a big cup of freshly brewed Nespresso sitting just next to me, so I couldn't, I couldn't complain. Yeah, you work at Nespresso. How's that? It is a, a huge experience, both from a personal perspective and from a work perspective. Um, it is a very it's a huge organization, fantastic brand, extremely complex, uh, but it's really interesting to be in the forefront of digital and omnichannel, which I, I think Nespresso really um, is. So the first question there, just to get it out of the way, have you met George Clooney? <laughs> no, I haven't. I have to settle with the George clones uh, instead at the at Nespresso. And there are quite a few uh, well-dressed, uh, well-behaved uh, and gorgeous uh, looking as well. Okay, so you're not referring to paper cutouts then? <laughs> no. All right, so uh, do you get that uh, question often? I do, and... It's actually something that I asked myself during my interview with Nespresso. But uh, no luck so far. So when you work at Nespresso, who are your customers? Nespresso's customers is everyone who enjoys uh, a perfect cup of coffee. Typically coffee connoisseurs. And it could be anyone in any capacity. Someone at a huge office. Or someone just like me with an espresso machine uh, in the kitchen. You work with e-commerce and digital marketing. What is that you do? So I manage the e-commerce presence in the four Nordic markets. And we call our e-commerce touchpoints our e-boutiques. So they consist of a desktop website, a mobile website an iPhone app and an Android app. So my task as e-commerce manager is to make sure that we deliver traffic to these digital websites and apps and that that traffic is converted to coffee orders and then I have to make them come back again to order more coffee, preferably online. So why does e-commerce and digital marketing go in hand then? Well, I think, for me at least, working with coffee. I mean, coffee is a product that you drink several times a day. It's made to 
reorder. It's made to replenish. It's made to be consumed. So what what better way than using digital, which is fast and convenient, to make sure that you never run out of coffee? And, and people who, who tend to consume coffee, I mean, the Swedes are a good example. Um, we yeah, we, we, f- we are. We follow along a fairly predictable pattern, right? We we drink roughly the, the same uh, amount of coffee every day, maybe with some extra during fika and during someone's birthday. But digital marketing is a is a very effective way for us to make sure that we keep track of how much coffee you have consumed so that we can anticipate when you will run out. And there are so many cool digital targeting tools that make us be able to reach you regardless of where you are to remind you that it's time to order coffee. And then, of course, um, we don't have the, the ability to have real boutiques or stores everywhere, right? And um, sure, you've always been able to place orders over the phone, but you can't see the coffee there. You can't experience the flavors, the intensities or, or aromas, and you can't learn which coffee blend goes best with certain recipes, for example. Um, and this we can do online and with, with our digital touch points and with our apps. Of course, we cannot have tastings online, um, but in a world where roughly anyone can create you know, a, a compatible copy of an espresso capsule, now that the patent has expired, you could potentially find Nespresso similar products in your grocery store. And in order to kind of avoid the temptation of, of picking those c- compatible capsules and drinking that awful uh, blend of coffee instead of the real thing, e-commerce and, and apps need to stay really, really close to you, um, make it super available so that you're not, you're not, um, that, that it doesn't become a barrier to order Nespresso. And we want to, to enable people to get, you know, their, their coffee uh, already the day after the, they run out, or even, you know, the same day, because we know how it feels to, to run out of Nespresso. I mean, it's a huge craving, right? So regardless of where you are or what device you're carrying, uh, we want to be able to offer this experience for you. Is e-commerce more sensitive to, to brands and marketing? I mean, are customers less faithful in those scenarios? Well, you can never, ever rest assured that what you have are faithful customers, even the ones that you've segmented to be um, labeled as loyal or high value. Because in, you know, in my experience, people don't really care about your brand. They don't care about your product either. They care about how you make them feel. They care about how the the coffee makes you feel and um, what value you and your products bring to these customers' life lives. Uh, but sure, it's it's fierce competition online. You know, in the land of price comparison sites and Instagram feeds and YouTube channels, and a transaction can happen anywhere. I mean, anyone who is a bit, um, you know, does a little bit of programming can set up an e-shop, a web shop in a couple of days and then start selling uh, copies of our, our coffees should, should they wish to. So, so sure, um, it requires a bit more uh, 
investment and um, of course in in content and in customer uh, relationship uh, management in order to succeed online so it just it doesn't come can come down to just branding but it doesn't come down to just building an e-commerce website either um at least for from my perspective something that we see is the huge expectation that customers have on reliable deliveries you know the speedy checkout and the several payment options and they also want an unforgivable unboxing experience right so it's an end-to-end customer experience beyond just the, the place where the transaction happens and if you don't have a strong brand and you don't have a strong internal organization that can secure this end-to-end experience uh, then you will not get faithful customers to begin with okay so you don't want to fall in the the pit where where price is one of your commodities no exactly so competing just on the price is something that is very prone to just copying anyone of your competitors can just copy your price or lower their price below, below yours uh, and what you don't know is what they have in terms of profitability and margins and uh, no that's a really that's not a good path to to head down i think and a lot of a lot of um companies they succeed in this but a lot of the old and traditional bigger companies they are new to digital and digital thinking of about marketing in a digital way so i mean in order to to set set everything up from a beginning where you've come from doing nothing online uh, for me that, that that's been a big journey um and i think you mentioned it in the beginning as well being kind of the entrepreneur for digital teaching the organization what it means to acquire a lead uh, online uh, what does a cookie you know uh, entail if you if you harvest kind of customer data through through browsing history um what's digital pr what's a sponsored story um can you do product placement in blogs is that legal um how do you how do you capture people to become subscribers of your emails or sign up to to your send out lists or being becoming prospects how do you measure how people engage with your website how much time they spend and which products they look at all all of this ex- takes a lot of time and it requires a lot of special competences which most of these old companies traditionally haven't had and of course when you start talking in terms of hey i can convert this traffic at a rate of 40% then all of a sudden your marketing department is being pressured to do the same to, to develop you know an roi model and to prove their worth okay so what is the roi of this uh, radio ad that you produced last week so digital e-commerce is fantastic and it paves the way for all sorts of um, great you know potential for growth but it can also be uncomfortable for the people working in the company and who have done stuff or done things a certain way and um yeah i don't know <laughs> really what was the original question i just <laughs> went out a bit all right that's a that's fine so do you mean like digital marketing is this way of measuring and following up on those measurements or is it more than that then 
Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I, I suppose many people who have studied marketing are familiar with something called like the IDA model, where you begin with awareness and then interest and then desire. And then at the last kind of end of the, the funnel is action. So this is a traditional way. It's an old model and it's outdated in many, many ways because it's not linear and it's not that simple, but it's a good way of considering what a digital marketing person does. So it starts at the top, like top of the funnel marketing. And this is not something that has to be done print or TV or, or radio or out of home, like outdoor ads, but top of the funnel marketing can also be done online. Um, video is a good example sponsored stories or podcasts um, like we are doing now or product placements um, or even, I mean, PR, but digital PR. Um, and, and that generates awareness of your brand and hopefully traffic to your website. And hopefully you track that traffic and you flag it using uh, cookies or other tools or you capture your leads into lists and you measure the engagement and where they come from and what they read. And, and hopefully then you have a good sense of if your upper, upper, upper funnel marketing has been successful, have you been able to create a buzz? Are there more mentions? Um, do people use your hashtag? Do people seem engaged in what you've offered them? Do they look at your video? Do they register for an account, for example? So online plus the CRM team can work as if they were uh, a marketing department on this one. And then moving a bit down in this conversion funnel, then it's time to kind of make the pur purchase. So we want this acquired um, bunch of people, this leads, these prospects, to buy from you. And here's where this measurement comes in. That's interesting that you mentioned. Since everything can be measured, you can do something that's called performance marketing where you only pay if you get a click to your website, or you only pay if you get an order from a click. So you count backwards. Um, and this is also done with intrinsic, like really JavaScript-based tracking models. So you can have people, uh, or you can have um, performance marketing based on if someone has been to your website before. So you only want to target those who you know have been to your website before. And when they visit your website, then once again, then you're willing to pay maybe a bit more because these people are more inclined to convert. Or, for example, you can target people who search on Google for search terms that give away that actually they're looking to buy. For example, where do I buy Nespresso coffee? That's a, that's a generic search term but it includes the brand name Nespresso. So on these types of searches, we are identifying that people are very, very close to the moment of transaction, so we're willing to pay more for this. So we engage on Google's auction, and we pay a, maybe a higher click cost than our competitors do on the search, because this click is worth more to us. So at the end of the day, we harvest how, much, how many orders have we gotten and how much did those click cost, clicks cost us. And that's how we can establish what we're paying to convert um, a new customer. And if it's, you know, um, relevant in terms of our margins and lifetime values and things like that. And there are a bunch of these techniques and techniques. This is what I do every day. So you can do cart abandonment emails 
that are triggered from your from your platform when a person starts shopping, but then they drop off during checkout or payments. And there are so many fantastic initiatives that we are doing together with the CRM team that involve geographical targeting to add, you know, we, we produce ads and we push those to be displayed to IP addresses that, <laughs> that are located in areas where we have high attrition, for example, or we extract these very, very um, peculiar or specific lists of customers from our CRM database. And then we upload those lists to Facebook to allow us to propose content that is relevant for this certain segment whilst they're browsing on Facebook. Um, and, you know, we have reordering alerts and we have word of mouth tactics and uh, suites of engaging email contents. And, you know, we reward certain, certain consumption patterns and we reward certain um, profiles and certain behavior. And everything is done digitally. So we're managing to cut our costs for uh, traditional marketing, which is oftentimes more expensive, like print. Um, and replace them with digital. How would you say that you co-work with the CRM team? Is it like that you hand leads over or you get them back? Or did you say that you had a really tight workshop with them? Yeah, it is a symbiotic relationship. And it goes both ways, just as you described most often it is the CRM team who powers e-commerce with data. So they would give us lists or typically they will program uh, this in the back office and to say, you know, we've created these four lists and we want offer one to be displayed to the first list and offer two to the second list, etc. So that's a typical campaign procedure that we, that we employ. And then my team of, of web editors will make the website adapt depending on if it's list number one, two, three, or four that's looking at the website. And those will see then the corresponding offer. It doesn't have to be an offer. It can be content, maybe a um, certain capsule, maybe certain uh, blend is shown on the start page to those that we know like that kind of coffee. So that's so one, if I take, one example. Uh, sorry if I interrupt here. So just an easy example here then. If they have bought this some some blend and you're uh, taking out uh, uh, constructing a new blend and you want to offer that to the ones that bought blend number one before, so that's a list that you can say, okay, if they bought this, then show them this other blend here now. Yes. Well, you're really getting a grip on this, Marcus. You should come work in my team. Yeah. We can do, we can really make use use of you. Yes, exactly. That's what we do. So it is personalization that is powered by what we know about your purchase behavior since before. Now, this is enabled because we have a closed what do you, how do you call it? Like we have a club set up. Right, so that means that we own the customer. We own the customer data. You have to create an account with Nespresso in order to be able to purchase our coffee. And the good thing about that is that, regardless of then, if you call into our customer relationship center and you place an order via phone or you place it in a boutique on Kungsgatan in Stockholm, 
if the third thing you do is go online to purchase something, then we'll know everything about the previous steps that you took, regardless of which channel you interacted with. Now, this gives us an enormous competitive advantage in terms of making use of, of customer data and turn it, turning it into targeted proposals and targeted offers. But it can go the other way around as well. So let's say that my, my, my digital analytics team have noticed that we have a high drop-off rate on a certain step in the checkout flow. Typically, the delivery page or the, the page where you select your, your credit card details or your payment method. And then what we can do uh, is extract a number of uh, member IDs corresponding to people who actually didn't succeed in placing an order. And then we can put that into the hands of CRM. And CRM can do a lookup to see, well, did these customers succeed in placing an order in another of our channels? Perhaps they were impatient and they called instead and placed an order. Now, for all of those who at the end of the line didn't purchase anything, we can just assume that they wanted to, but they, they didn't succeed. Something stopped them. There was a barrier on the website. And then I can hand that cleansed list over to the customer relationship center and have them call uh, the people on the list to ask them what went wrong and can we help you. Okay, so there was a lot of information in one go here, but um, you said that the, that you sign in to, to the club, so that means that if you have ordered something on the phone and then you step into the shop in, in Stockholm, or we have one in Malmö also too, that they behind the counter then can ask, oh, do you want the same order as last time? And the customer don't have to specify what that was. Exactly. That is exactly how it works. So you can, from the first time you download the app, let's say you've never used an Espresso app before, you'll see a list of all of your previous orders the moment you start using it because all of our touch points are connected in real time through one and the same system. And that is what enables us to be omnichannel. Okay, so hold that thought because... This CRM Rocks podcast is brought to you by Dynamic CRM User Group, CRM UG. With over 25,900 members worldwide, more than 70 chapters and hundreds of new virtual learning opportunities each year, CRM UG is the go-to resource for user-sourced best practice, issue resolution and networking. Connect, learn, and share with other dynamic CRM users at crmug.com. So what is that omnichannel you talked about? Yeah, to understand omnichannel, which has been a real buzzword during the, these last two years, one must first pass the stage of multi-channel and cross-channel. So if we start with multi-channel, if you envision companies that establishing a presence, uh, for example, by launching an app, if they hadn't have had one before, or maybe they open a website that they didn't have before, but they had a boutique, or they only had a website, but now they also open a showroom, that's multi-channel. It's about providing more retail space, more ways for consumers to place transactions with you. And then the next step 
after multi-channel comes cross-channel. And that is when you have matured a bit so that you have secured the same offers across all of these channels and the same products, the same product portfolio is offered everywhere. If you have a campaign in, in the boutique, the same campaign is available through people who don't live close to the boutique through the website. And you have the same terms and services available regardless of where you shop so that you can return uh, you know, items regardless of where you shop them. But there's a small, small difference between cross-channel and omni-channel. It is that when you switch device or you switch a session or you just you know, move from one channel to another, your kind of journey is disrupted. So, for example, that, like, like you mentioned, Marcus, I can pass between a boutique and the boutique's website and I go there in the evening to the website. It doesn't know that I was in the boutique earlier that day. It knows nothing about my life cycle with, you know, and my, my interactions with the touch points. So that's the, kind of the next step then to become omnichannel. That is when you as a customer, you're the unique identifier, uh, to speak in, in database uh, terms, so that every step of the way is adapted to you and your preferences and your needs. It's kind of creepy, uh, but I think we're going to see this even more in, in a couple of years, that you can move actually seamlessly between channels regardless of time and location and screen without being able to tell them apart. A really extreme example would be that you are going grocery shopping, let's say, and you're putting these items in your, in your shopping cart, but then you're one-and-a-half-year-old son throws a tantrum and you just have to bring him, you know, outside to, to cool down or whatever, and you cannot go back into the store. You know, it's, it's ruined. The shopping experience is ruined. You have to bring him home and give him an ice cream or whatever. So when you come home, you go to the grocery store's website and you realize that they have all of your items stored in your digital shopping cart, the same items that you had when you were in the grocery store that day. So, so this is when you take it to the you know, next level. This is virtual reality, uh, augmented reality, whatever, in the future. Um, but we're on our way to Omnichannel. Now, this is not something that's easy. This is proven to be incredibly hard. Not even, I mean, Apple uh, or Microsoft, for that matter, have fixed it so that when you write an email on your iPhone and you send it or save it as a draft that it is then available in Outlook drafts folder when you go to work, right? That never works for me. I don't know why. I don't know what's the problem. Oh, it's the same here. But if I would take this to, to try to explain that at Nespresso then. So if I go online, I put some things in my shopping bag and I left that or shopping cart and then abandoned that. And then I go to the store and they might see that, oh, you abandoned that shopping cart. And do you want those items now? That could be an example of that. Yeah, that would be a brilliant example of, of future development. Yes. All right. So why didn't you just do that? Oh, it's on my backlog. Believe <laughs> me. Okay. It's on the backlog. 
if I'm trying to to do this, then can I buy this this omni-channel stuff? Is there a product for that? Sure. There are several business systems and suppliers and marketing automation systems connected to CRM and to ERPs and to e-commerce platforms, etc., that connect all of your purchase touch points into one, including logistics setup and payment processes and even, um, what's it called, Casa System, cashier Mm, apparatus. Point of sales. Point of sales, thank you, that you have in your boutique, that, that those are kind of connected to your, your online payment modes as well. Um, I won't mention any names because it doesn't matter what which one I mentioned, there, there's going to be 10 more just like it. Um, but uh, absolutely, there are off-the-shelf kind of omni-channel enablers. But then there are, of course, needs for internal um, changes in adapting the organization as well. So if I'm trying to, to pick here channels, then can I just pick them all or do I have to, to choose some? Oh, that's a really, really good question. I think with everything, even if it's digital marketing channels that you choose between, like uh, should we be on Facebook or LinkedIn or Snapchat or, or all three? Should we have a showroom an app or just a website. Um, actually, the only person that could answer that question is the, the CRM expert. I would go actually. I would go to CRM experts uh, at my company to say, so what does the purchase behavior look like? Where do people live? How is their consumption pattern? How do they move between devices throughout the day? Um, what, can, what can a boutique do in, that a website cannot do in terms of engaging a new customer to become a loyal customer, the tasting that we call that, that we talked about. Uh, what can a call center do that that has the the customer on the phone but cannot see the person? And what can e-commerce do that doesn't see or touch or feel the person on the other other end? And there's no there's no there's no recipe for this. What I can say is, of course, the speediest time to market is to open a website, a web shop. What has been very trendy the, these last couple of years is that for purebred e-tailers, so web shops that only exist online, for them to open showrooms and or pop-up boutiques, something that is light and scalable and convenient and can be shut down without too many too much costs. Um, what these people say, at least when I kind of ask and, and interview them, is that the showroom where they could actually meet the customers in person was the ultimate kind of um, evidence on whether or not their strategy was correct. So let's say you sell, I don't know, baby clothes online and all you've done is purchase ads on Instagram. Because that's where typically, you know, young women hang out. And then you open a showroom or a pop-up boutique where you show off the baby clothes and you notice that it's only the, the latte, the coffee latte daddies that enter the shop. And that they don't at all live in the trendy parts of um, Stockholm, but they live in suburb suburbs outside of Malmö. And they're not at all, I don't know, super high income, maybe they're medium. You know, there, there are several aspects that's where you can actually kind of then rephrase your strategy and then look at 
your digital marketing presence, first of all, the channels that you choose online, and then if you have the right online slash offline mix. Do you try to target different audience for different channels or do you use the, the same marketing for every channel? Well, what's so tricky is that people navigate back and forth between, you know, both devices throughout the day and different websites and social media and forums during the day, depending on what kind of task they're accomplishing, they're trying to accomplish at that point. And they're also passing through multiple mental states. One second you're in like inspirational mode. And then you're super stressed to get something done. Maybe you need to order new bags for your vacuum cleaner. Um, And then you're in friendly mode and you just want to hang out with your friends on Facebook and chat. And then you're bored and then you want to look at cats doing stupid things on YouTube. Um, And each channel is is convenient for you in certain situations, but then they can be a total hassle in in others. Um, So my app is fantastic when I'm at the subway but you know when i'm trying to to write an essay for school it's not uh, so convenient um so we again you have to use your we use our, our crm department a lot to help us understand whether or not mobile phone like mobile ads or mobile offers are best suited for people you know at the depending on the mental state, depending on where they are, what time of day it is. Um, but also geographically, if they're close to an espresso store, maybe then it's better that we push them to go in there. Uh, if they're far away from uh, one of our physical stores and they really are trouble, uh, troubled with something, maybe we can identify that because they're searching for on Google on something that we know that we cannot help them with unless they call us, then we'll direct them to our customer care unit so that they can get the proper instructions over the phone instead. Um, So I think it's important to remember that even if you have commercial presence that um, consists of multiple channels, boutiques and call center and e-commerce and you have social media, then you cannot launch these properties in isolation. You have to enable unified shopping experiences that can adapt according to the situation and to the need that the customer has in real time and be ready that people will try to access your channel regardless of, of who they are. It's about what they're trying to accomplish right then and right then. So if I don't have any of this and I'm probably just have some email support and perhaps a, a, a site where people can offer where people can order things what kind of organizational changes do i look at if i try to to go to this omni channel here yeah so you're going to be challenged with some staffing um staffing needs first of all perhaps you should consider extending your website presence with an online chat And you can utilize then the same staff maybe that you have that are already answering the phone. If you only have email to do outreach um, campaigns, maybe you should um, consider hiring someone who does your Google advertising for you. Or maybe an agency can do that. If you're not online at all and you need to start emailing uh, 
then you'd need some people who are experts in the email marketing. Maybe the customer, maybe the CRM team can be the, the guinea pigs and start, you know, be, be trained in design and be trained in conversion rate to be able to produce valuable emails. For a company the size of Nespresso, where we have both multi and omni and, and cross-channel presence already, for us, how we work with data becomes the tipping point, the, the crucial barrier, because now we have so much data. Everyone calling in, everyone using the chat, everyone downloading the app, everyone entering the store. We have so much data about how, how our customers move and how they behave that we need to find a structure and the methodology for governance to make sure that the right data is used for the right purposes so that it doesn't just end up in a bucket somewhere, not used for anything. Then, of course, you need leadership. You, have someone, you need someone to, to pull everything together, to bind everything together. And, and typically what we have at Nespresso is a channel manager. And then this person is really valuable because everyone who is in charge of a business channel for, for me, for example, who's e-commerce manager, and then the one who is boutique manager and the one who is responsible for the, the telephone department, we r- report to one and the same channel manager. And then her job is to make sure that we're working with each other, to creating omni-channel experiences and not working in silos. Um, but of course, uh, there's always going to be a big gap between what's you know, marketing, what's traditional marketing, what's digital marketing, what's performance marketing. Um, and I'm not sure I have the, the solution to that one, just knowing that we're struggling as, as are many companies today. So I'm looking at a, a pretty long journey here then. Yes, exactly. Or you're looking at least at baby steps. Um, yeah, one foot in front of the other. I think what you are most you know, wise to do is to, to do something 100%, do something with super excellence before embarking on a new, new journey. So if you're doing email today, then make sure that you're doing the best email um, and that you cannot evolve your emailing until you get more people to email too. Okay, we need an, you know, an outbound campaign. We need an acquisition strategy. And then you do that. Okay, so now we have enough leads to fill our email workforce and a lot of people I don't know uh, becoming prospects and generating uh, sales okay so how can we establish even more sales then these people that prefer email where do they hang out do they hang out at any other places where we're not reaching them today so kind of a th- what's it called three step Three-step, three-stakes uh, rocket, as we say in Swedish. Three-step rocket, three-stage yes. rocket. <laughs> yes. Okay, so does it matter if I'm targeting business to business or business to consumer? No, the, we're all just humans. We are ten fingers in front of a keyboard uh, that are looking to buy a product or a service. And when you do surveys and you ask people what they expect you'll see that B2B buyers, they're expecting to do the same kind of purchases on the same kind of websites and mobile apps that they use to do personal shopping, uh, even if it's work-related. So because we're all humans, for us what's, in, what's important is that it's convenient, 
that we can reuse a habit that we've already used for something else. Um, and our behavior, I mean, our, our consumer behavior drives what we expect at work, including how we interact with manufacturers and distributors who supply, who supply us with the products and services. So you've sent their product or services. Does it matter what I sell? Well, yeah, this is interesting because one, some of the most successful B2B players that I consider B2B players are airlines and, and um, hotel, hotel companies, right? Because it's not a product. It's, some, it's an experience uh, or a service, if you will, that you, that you buy. And just consider a couple of years ago when you, you were to order a, a ticket uh, like a flight ticket, and then it was a super hassle. You had to go to a to a you know a agency down the street, and then stand in line, and then get a printed ticket, and bring that on board, and then you know all and f- just to see how that has evolved. The online check in, the mobile app pushes that tell you that your flight is delayed. All of the geographical, you know, the maps where you can see where you're located, how your flight is progressing when your estimated time of arrival is, what the weather is like on the location. And no matter if you call the flight, the airline, or if you email the airline, or if you go into an agent, they'll all be connected in the same system. So they'll see the same data about you and your flights, regardless of where you are. So it's omnichannel, but up, up in the air. Uh, so it, I'm, not, I'm not a professional B2B marketer, but I would not say that it, there's a difference between a product, a physical product, and a virtual service. doesn't have to be, anyway. So earlier you talked a lot about being online and, and the digital marketing here. I felt like that's sort of like, I mean, building your brand and being that digital marketing... Is there a separation of that or is it just the same thing in different ways? It is the same thing, uh, but in different yeah, but in different ways. I I think most marketers they miss that they miss out on the fact that they're doing branding while they're doing other things. Like they're for example, when you um receive a package that you've ordered online. That's uh, the first branding experience that the consumer has with your product. And for me, when I sit down at an SAS flight, in that seat, my experience is the first brand experience that I have with SAS, or the first you know, s- uh, stewardess that smiles to me. That's my first brand experience. But brand marketers tend to get stuck on the fact that it's the TV, you know, it's the, the TV ad with George Clooney that produces the brand experience. And I think what e-commerce can do is that we can help prolong the brand experience, um, extend the brand experience to more than just um, the upper funnel, the first, you know, the first thing that you see or the very last. We can be there with you during your path to purchase and also after. Um, for example, why don't we send an email to everyone who ordered a product from us a week ago, just ask them if they're happy. Are you happy with your purchase? Do you need any assistance? Uh, what could we have 
done better. Um, or we monitor what they say to their friends on social media and we engage in that, in that conversation and we praise them and reward them for being transparent and open. Uh, thanks for sharing your positive experience with Nespresso. Here's a box of chocolates. That's really nice. Yeah. So for me, yeah, so for me branding and, and digital and marketing all goes together. Yeah, and that's fair. And that's a really nice way to say, to express that word of mouth is valuable to you. Yes, never underestimate the power of, of word of mouth. You can turn the most disappointed and dissatisfied customer into a happy, smiling person just by recognizing them. And social media is a fantastic way of recognizing someone. So if I try to look into the future here, then what's the, the future of e-commerce and digital marketing? It's becoming even more personalized than it is today. I can expect my future e-commerce shopping experience to be 100% adapted to Therese, to me, to my needs, to my mental state, to my previous purchase orders, to, um, to my uh, geographical location, to my device, to to everything. I heard um, that there's even like these virtual virtual tracking tools that you can implement in boutiques that keep um keep track of your how your eyes move across the products on in the in the store so you can actually kind of harvest data on how people what they look at how long they stay on every aisle um and then once they sh- they leave the store the cashier will know that maybe you didn't find what you were looking for or the brand marketers who develop packaging for your products will know that people liked to feel and look a long time at certain cartons or certain packages or whatever. So personalization, uh, the first step, of course, being that your web shop will be personalized based on what you've looked at, how you've browsed, what you've purchased before, etc. I also think we're going to move a lot to the the visual, the, the video, the moving images, the things that appear or adhere to our senses, sound, and I mean, smell uh, for natural causes cannot be communicated online. So we're going to move a lot from text and HTML and um, heavy content and heavy you know, long stories to pictures, infographics, and videos. The, yeah, those are my kind of the trends that I, that I see. A third trend that I see, but it's more from an internal organization point of view, is that data is becoming so overwhelming, as I mentioned, that we're going to need to start automate this. Because we can't keep hiring people just to solve uh, basic you know, data mining tasks or uh, analytic, analytics tasks. We need to start doing things automated. Um, everything from email, email marketing, email with um, um, yeah, marketing automation tools to uh, analytics to forecasting to product placement on the website to personalization to yeah, just about anything that can be automized, really. Yeah. That's really good to hear. So if I, if I want to know more about all of this that we've talked about, do you have any links to get going? Yeah, sure. Um, forgive me if these links are super uh, standard and well-known, but I have to just recommend um, Forrester.com or Forrester Research because 
the the amount of surveys and insights and reports that these companies produce if you manage to kind of filter out um, what's irrelevant to you, just search for omnichannel or B2B or digital marketing trends or mobile or wearables or whatever, you can find almost anything on, on Forrester. And if you're interested in, in digital marketing, there's a fantastic website called eConsultancy. Uh, it's one word, eConsultancy.com. It has specific website departments depending on if you're interested in Search advertising, performance marketing, mobile marketing, um, email marketing, etc. And they have a, f- a great newsletter as well. And then lastly, uh, but not least, you can visit uh, my own website, but it's in Swedish, uh, trulytrees.se. So we will be sure to add this uh, to the show notes uh, so everyone can find it easily. If I'm looking to hear more from you then where can i find you next well in may i am going to be present in shista shista messen which is outside of stockholm stockholm sweden yes yeah so there's an e-commerce um it's an e-commerce um what's it called a conference and i'm going to be on stage discussing future logistics Uh, solutions for e-commerce websites okay thank you so much for your participation in crm rocks dress thank you marcus for having me and thanks to you are listening and don't forget that you can uh, comment or subscribe on crmrocks.com or you can just search for crm rocks in your favorite podcasting app And I publish every episode on uh, facebook.com slash crmrocks. See you next time on CRM Rocks. <laughs>